Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dreamer Talks. My name is Abby Volkovich, and I'm your host. It is my job on this podcast to interview dreamers from many different walks of life and pick their brain about different techniques and skills that could help us in our lives. For today's episode, we have a very good friend of mine from high school, Halia Jones. Halia will go a little bit more into detail on her background on how she started getting into acting and has gone to where she is today. Her latest work is playing Eden Hawkins in Netflix original Lock and Key. And during the past couple of months, she has been producing music with her older brother in their cottage due to the corona crisis. So please enjoy this interview with Halia Jones. There is a lot of good content in here, so enjoy. Welcome everyone to another episode of Dreamer Talks. Today I'm joined with a very close friend, Halia Jones. Um, so Halia, hello. say hello, hello to everyone. <laughs> All the uh, way from Canada. Yeah, we're doing a long distance uh, <laughs> podcast over here. And mm. so Halia and I went to high school together. Uh, we went to Earl Haig slash Claude Watson. And uh, you Earl went Haig, to Claude Watson. I went to I Claude went Watson. To- <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to get into this. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Earl Haig <laughs> is a public school in Canada. And they have this arts program within the school, which is another school called Claude Watson. And I started in the Claude Watson program. Uh, I got into the program in grade nine, went through all of high school as a drama major. And this brings me to uh, how I actually met Halia. Um, I think we met <laughs> in grade nine, randomly, someday after school. We were just, fooling. I was chilling with my friends, you were chilling with your friends, and then we just became friends and well, I think it was out. like you were hanging out with the Segev and Max and Kenzie and all those guys. And I started hanging out with them. Right. I don't yeah, know we, how. We all kind of started time. just going out for lunch all the time. and Yeah. 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 And, and I was like one of those kids who jumped around from friend group to friend group. Like I had my girlfriends and then I had like you guys. Um, and then I had some other groups of friends from my middle school. And I didn't get into the Claude Watson program because I just wasn't a good student. <laughs> and you needed to have really good marks to be in the Claude Watson student, uh, program. And I just, like, didn't care enough. <laughs> I was just like, no, nah, I don't like it. And so um, I didn't get into the program, but I still hung out with a lot of Claudies. And someone, like, in grade 12 was like, wait, you're not in Claude Watson? And I was like, where have you been? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm still yeah. salty about that. I I know. I I think uh, <laughs> I've heard it in other interviews you've done about your the, the point you've you've gotten to. Uh, you talk about your you know you not being accepted into the program, and I think um, I actually salute you for the dedication and motivation that you've had and shown towards yourself to actually pursue mm. the craft of uh, acting and singing. Even though you got told from a, you know, elite, uh, whatever school, right? Um, the no, we'll and just, I, yeah, well, I, like, I really, I, I want you to talk to that point because yeah. I think a lot of listeners and viewers can really learn a lot from even getting that no from a school, parents, friends, whatever it may be, and yet you like, what have you done to tell yourself to keep going and uh, even lessons, whatnot, like. Yeah. Um, so I have horrible self-discipline. 
I'm just going to straight up say that. Like, I just don't have my self-discipline. But I think I got to this point where I was like, I've never been a big academic. I love learning. I love educating myself. I love reading. Um, but I just don't like the idea of like, here's this information in a textbook that you probably will like, will never think of ever in your life. Um, memorize it, regurgitate it, put it down on a test. And we're going to tell you if you're good enough. And if you can go on to do something with your life, like that was just like, was my mentality in school. I was like, I'm going to do something else. Um, but when it came to grade 12, I remember, um, being like really broken down by the whole system of Claude Watson because I just felt like because I wasn't in it, I couldn't do it. And it wasn't everyone in the program who made me feel that way, but I definitely felt like every time I auditioned for something, there was something standing between me and the potential of, you know, being a part of things because I wasn't a Claudie. Um, so when it came to grade 12, like I knew, and I speak openly about this, I knew I didn't have the best grades to get into university or whatnot. And I also just didn't want to go to university. I just, I knew I wouldn't be happy and I didn't want to take the risk of going into something where I would be more depressed than I already was. Like that was already a dark time in my life. I wasn't going to make it worse. And something that's not talked about are gap years. They're not talked about enough at all, which is ridiculous. And I don't right, high five. We, we both did the gap year. I, I remember, yeah, we were both uh, grade 12. Yeah. I was talking about their, what university they're going to. We're like, yeah, gap year. I literally, I had, I remember two people explicitly coming up to my face and just being like, so like, you know, like the chances of getting anywhere in life is, is not as high without a university degree. And Maybe for some people, but for me as a creative and somebody who's like, who really loves creating and, you know, going out there and trying new things. Like, I also knew that I could go to university if I wanted to at some point, like when it grades weren't that bad, like I could figure it out. But um, it was, it was a really difficult time of like, just sticking to what I wanted to do and being okay with it. And I wasn't all the time. I remember like, a week before university started up and I wasn't planning on going anywhere. Like I applied to Sheridan for the theater program or something. Mm -hmm. And I, I got in last minute and I'm glad I didn't because I, I went and traveled. I went to Sydney, Australia. And then it wasn't really until I got back from Australia that I really got into seriously act like taking acting seriously. But I mean, I, I have a hard time talking about these things because it is a success story in my perspective, you know, like I got very lucky, but yeah, I think the, the basis of it was just like sticking to, to my passions and what I felt like I really wanted to pursue and not letting anybody else's doubts of me, let myself doubt myself. Like I wasn't going to let that happen. So it took a while, but here I right. am. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I want to share an anecdote. I think I, I don't know if I've told you this one before, but uh, when we were in grade 12, there's the university fair every year in Canada, uh, where it's a convention center, kind of like a comic con for universities. And I went there with my mom, there were four escalators going upwards, and they're all going up. And there's a huge line in front of two escalators. And the other two escalators are completely empty. And we're standing in line, my mom and I, I look at my mom and I just go, bah. 
everyone was just just standing in line, even though the other two escalators were going up. And we right away just went to the other escalators and went up. It's a true story. I know it sounds made up, but it legit happened. Um, <laughs> and I think that was also a point where I was like, I totally need to take a gap year. Everyone's just doing university. <laughs> That's crazy. And there was no reason for those escalators to be filled? No, there was no sign. There was nothing. It was literally just that everyone was lined up on the, on the other two. Uh, oh my god, that's it's, crazy. It's crazy, yeah. Um, I couldn't believe it when I was there, but I think, you know, talking to that point is with the education system, I know, you know, I always talked about how school is a little messed up with the grading and putting a, a number to individuals. Um, yeah. What has been your approach to the self-education and self-development? I know the gap year had to do with it, um, but I don't know if you have any other things to share that, you know, can maybe uh, inspire and, and push people in, in some good directions. Um, you don't have to go to an institution in order to educate yourself. There are so many avenues of education online in the way of like watching YouTube videos, reading, um, just talking to people. I find that the biggest thing for me is I love to know a little bit about a lot so that I can talk to somebody who knows a lot about the little bit I know. So I can get kind of like the sparks notes of what's interesting and important to know about certain topics. And of course, like there are certain things that you should definitely like dive into and whatnot. But if you can go to a party or a dinner or something like that and just have fun conversation about everything and anything and be open to the idea that you don't know everything and that there's so much to learn about in the world and um, that there's like, and it's okay to make mistakes and have, you know, an underdeveloped perspective of the world, um, that you're open to developing it and learning a different way. Um, I think that's the biggest thing for me that kind of gets me when it comes to the whole university process. Like I always think of it like university, everybody's given in life. Okay, I'm going to get into it right now. <laughs> I see it like everybody in life is given this box where they collect things and they put it in their box and they learn this over here and they put it in their box and they learn that and they put it in their box. If you have 500 people in a lecture hall for the entirety of a year learning this course schedule, they're basically given another box to put in their box that all other 500 people have. And that's not to say that those people can't learn different perspectives, but they're learning majority of the same stuff. And then when they get that little paper at the end that says, I did it, they all have the same box. And of course, when it comes to our privileges and the way that we're, we grow up and our access to things and whatnot, some people can go further with their boxes. Some people don't ever use those boxes. Like I know so many people who went to school and they're just like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Um, I always believe that like we need to find different avenues of creating 
substance to put in our boxes from different areas of the world and different experiences and different perspectives because that's what creates the most interesting ways of living and for me like I have like little snippets from different areas and I'm still learning and I don't have like a degree I don't have this big chunk of analytical information in my brain about finances like I wish like I have a little bit I have to but it's important for me to like always be searching out different avenues of retrieving different educational pieces throughout the world because like if I just sit there and my box is empty I'm dumb like I'm not gonna stay dumb um or like you know at where I am so I don't know. I just think like you don't have to go to an institution in order to to become educated and have intelligence. Like there's a lot of people who do really well on tests, put them out on the real world and they're like, I don't know how to apply it. Right. Like that's the right. thing, finding ways of applying your information to. Yeah. It's uh, having that street smart that is also very important. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think... Uh, I really love what you mentioned of trying a lot of different things and testing out different avenues because you don't really, if you, I guess, follow the standard path, um, you'll just be following and not really leading in your life. Uh, (laughs) Takes us back to the stairs. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people do that. And you know what? That I've also seen education as kind of a factory line you know um getting that's where it came from that's where the education system industrial industrial revolution yeah Mm -hmm. because they wanted to make people be able to do things that they didn't want to do and sit and have to do it and up to standard and of course like some people will disagree with that and say you know like education is whatever and i'm just like no (laughs) it's like this is a big part of it um And I get that there are definitely very important parts of uh, institutionalized education that many people do need and it's applied. Right. Yeah. Full disclosure. There's definitely good, good things to it. Yeah. Like we're not, not we're not fully bashing it. Yeah. I'm not bashing school. Like school's important. Yes. Mm -hmm. But is it the only way to ever become intelligent or successful in this world? I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah. So. Right. Right. Well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) um okay well from that um from the not being able to get on uh certain things at earl hague because you weren't a claudi i'd like to make Mm. the transition i kind of showed that (laughs) i I, I kind of want to make that transition of uh where you are now and uh how it's been to uh be where where you've gotten (laughs) that's weird (laughs) um dude oh god if i could go back to heg and tell little halia that this is where she would be in like five five, six years five six years um i would laugh like i feel like my younger self would be like oh that's so cool because, like, you know how everyone's asking, always asks, like, where do you think you see yourself in five years? I probably would have been way more ballsy and been like, the Oscars. But that's not how life works. <laughs> um, five years from now, I don't know. Maybe that's a possibility. I got to work my butt off. But, um, yeah. Well, so You weren't at the Oscars, but you were, you were at a red carpet. 
Yeah. So I had my own version of the Oscars, I guess. There were no awards, but there was definitely um, red carpet. So um, after, so for the viewers, I'll just like do a little breakdown really quickly. So I graduated from high school. Um, I worked for six months and then for six months I went to Sydney, Australia, where I did like a little, you know, film school. Well, even back up further, grade 11 to grade 12 that summer, I went to LA to do an acting thing because in, in grade 11, Degrassi came to our school and did that huge audition where there was like 600 people who auditioned for this role. And I was standing in line for this Degrassi audition and one person from the Claude Watson program, the drama program, came up to me and said, what are you doing in the line? And I was like, I'm auditioning. <laughs> and I was like, but I was like, I was like, I'm just, you know, I'm auditioning. Like it's an open, like I'm just going to try it. Anyway, long story short, long story short, I was one of four people who ended up getting called back for the, the Degrassi audition. And I remember going into the Degrassi audition and Larissa Mayer, the, the casting director, um, I did my audition and I've been modeling since I was like 12. So I kept looking at the camera because the camera's my friend. And <laughs> so I kept on looking at the camera. She says, I really love you for this role, but I can't hire you because you don't have any on-camera training. Go get training and come back to me. And so I was like, okay. And my mom and I both saw that as kind of like, okay, Claude Watson's not taking me seriously, but these professionals did. And my mom was like, okay, I'm going to, I think I'm, I'm down to take a chance on this. So that summer I like, I looked up all these different acting camps and whatnot. And I went out to Los Angeles to this place called Socapa where it was like, there were filmmakers and actors and dancers and photographers, like all these different people. Um, and I was in the acting program for two weeks and I met some like the greatest people ever, but the, the, um, the acting teacher came up to my mom at the end of it for a final performance. She said, whatever you do, make sure that your daughter is in this industry, either in front of the camera or behind the camera. And so my mom was like, okay. So I went into grade 12, did my thing, didn't really like start professionally acting I did a lot of courses and classes and stuff like after like once a week kind of things um still wasn't getting accepted into any of the drama things like no plays except for like a student run sound of music or something like anyway so I went I graduated from um high school I went worked I did um six months in Australia and then I came back and I went and I got an agent and um like one of the like the first auditions I was on the way and they're like oh they're looking for someone older but like go to the audition anyway I went to the audition it was for working moms which is a Toronto show and I booked the audition which is like luck this is pure luck that doesn't happen and I was like okay like this is this is cool like I thought it was way easier than this this is cool <laughs> and um yeah long story short I booked a few productions and um then the the big one was booking lock and key and so um i remember going into the audition for lock and key and like i had probably done easy over like 150 auditions or like 100 something auditions um prior to lock and key and that's just how the industry works like you do 100 and you book one like if you're lucky like that kind of thing 
Um, but I had done like working moms and the boys. Um, and I had done like this other film and just like a few, like one liner, small things. And then booking lock and key. I remember going into the audition and just fumbling my lines over and over again. Like (laughs) I thought I wasn't going to book it. Like, but it was bringing that different, like I play a bitch in the show, just point blank. And I made the cast, I made them laugh. So I went, it was, I I got the role. I was jumping around my room, very excited about getting the role. And we started filming. We filmed for about five, six months. Um, I started out as kind of like a small character and built up into like pretty like, you know, there, (laughs) there. And next season is going to be crazy. We got confirmed for a second season, which is like huge. Um, and yeah, on Wait, can, February, you, can you just tell me the the anecdote? Because uh, you had already read all the the scripts for the final episode. You told me last time we spoke of how you reacted in your living room, and then you're, you you had to like lie yeah. to your mom. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not gonna give any spoilers for anyone who right. hasn't watched it. But um, so there's three episodes in this season that I have like very defining scenes. You've watched it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. So like, there's like, yeah. So there's like, I don't, some of my friends house, like I can't talk to you about it then. Um, but like there was, um, one scene in the last episode where I got the last script cause they, they send them out incrementally throughout filming. Um, And I got the last script and I was sitting in my mom's room and reading through it. And I got to my part and I just wailed. I just like was just jumping. I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. Like I was just going crazy. And my mom's like, what? What? Tell me, tell me, tell me. I want to know. I want to know. And I was like, no. (laughs) Because of course I'm not going to tell her like this huge thing that happens to Eden. And, um, yeah, this is the point in the, in the episode in the podcast, everyone, where you pause, you binge lock and key, and then you can continue from here. And then you come back. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Then you'll understand. But it was, it was so cool because like originally I, when I, when I booked the audit, um, the, the show, I remember talking to my agent and I was like, oh, well, this is good because they had told me something about like more you book casting directors see that you're booking more and then they'll bring you in more. And I was like, Oh, this is good. Like casting directors will see that I'm booking. And my, like, it was just silent on the other side of the phone. And my agent was like, no, Julia, this is like in a different stratosphere. <laughs> I was like, what? Because I didn't realize like right. walking key is already a huge franchise in itself in the comic book world. And like Joe Hill, who, who wrote it, um, is Stephen King's son. So there's like, there's, there's, it's there. Um, So I remember telling my friend that I had booked this show. I was like, yeah, I booked a show called Lock and Key. And he was like, (gasps) and he like jumped up and like ran over, got this huge box set of all of the comic books. He's like, read it. (laughs) I was like, okay. Um, So my character's not in the actual books, but it's um kind of like an amalgamation of two of the characters in there and yeah so in february i went to um los angeles i brought my mom and we went to the premiere i got to walk the red carpet at the egyptian theater 
which is just down the street from um, the Chinese theater where the Oscars take place. And it was just the coolest experience ever. And I know this sounds weird, but I felt at home. It was the strangest thing I felt. I didn't, the only nerves I felt were like on the car ride over. And then as soon as I stepped out, I was like, (laughs) I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. Like it was, it was crazy. I felt so comfortable and just in my element. And I've all, I feel like I've been training and preparing for this my whole life in the weird way. And, um, yeah, it was, it was crazy seeing my face up on the big screen. And I was like, this is, you know, I'm glad I stuck to my guns. I'm glad I stuck to, to what I wanted to do and like really follow through with it because I would have never known what I could have, my potentials if I had just done what everyone else expected me to do. And that, that would have been, I mean, I would have never known, but that would have been devastating. You know, I would have been watching Lock and Key and someone else would have been playing Eden. So we may have not even yeah, watched it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was, I, I was saying to a friend yesterday, like, I don't watch a lot of Netflix series, but I do enjoy Lock and Key. Like, I, I felt like unbiased opinion. It was a really good, I felt really good about it. I felt like they did a really good job as a Canadian production. Like, badass. It's going to get more badass. My, my family enjoyed it. That's good. Yay, more gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, wow, that's really awesome. I mean, I'm definitely a proud and a happy friend that you've uh, made it to where you've, you've made it and uh, excited to see where it goes from here. I think season two is going to bring you some good opportunities either for mm-hmm. the continuation of the show or even for other yeah. things, right? Um, yeah, for sure, definitely. But yeah, for so, now, it's just like pandemic and music. <laughs> yeah, I actually wanted to make that uh, transition. Uh, you know, you we're all kind of now in this apocalyptic-ish world. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a little extreme, I think. But um, it's more apocalyptic. It's more apocalyptic. <laughs> can't speak English. It's more apocalyptic. <laughs> wow, I'm really struggling. Apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. Sorry, wow. That's, that doesn't look good on me. Well, well, well I, that went to the tongue twisters. <laughs> yeah, well, apocalyptic than it was back in February. I was, like, driving around LA, like, not caring in February, and then March, it was like, okay, <laughs> lockdown. Right. It was right. crazy. Right, yeah, so um, yeah. what have you, um, what was your initial two-week uh, thing when you realized, or I don't know if it could have been longer or less, whatever it was for you, of realizing I need to figure my shit out, even if this is going to last longer? What was your transition? Um, how long can the story be? <laughs> um, okay, uh, so my... My uncle does a lot of reading of, like, um, a lot of medical journals, and he does a lot of, like, really deep dive reading. And he knew about this back in January. And he had been, like, reading a lot into it and was kind of, like, starting to get worried and um, just saying, like, everyone, like, we, 
bought, and this doesn't look good on us, but we bought N95 masks like back in January just to have them in the house just in case. And he also had them because he does a lot of like sawdust work and, and all that asbestos and whatnot. And so, um, when I went to LA, like it wasn't really a, a thought too much. Like it was still there, but it was more so like across seas. Like it wasn't over here as much. It wasn't being talked about. So it was very carefree in February. January and February were like the best months of my life, basically. Um, and then I went to LA, uh, got back, and there's this thing called the Big Fam Jam. Um, have, have I told you about the Big Fam Jam? I think you, yeah, you mentioned it. Uh, but yeah. if you could kind of talk about it. Yeah, so the Big Fam Jam is this this big thing in, in Toronto that a group of my brother's musician, my brother musician, blah, blah, blah. wow, English is not happening right now. It's this big, like, basically there's a bar in downtown with like a stage and my brother's friends are all like really talented musicians I've always looked up to and I only really got back into music about two years ago and um they started this jam this every Monday night jam where you have the house band that starts off and then people can go up and like sw switch out like the drummer guitar guitarist and vocalist and stuff like that so I became obsessed with this like it was just like my baby like I I didn't know what day of the week it was but I knew Monday was four days away like <laughs> I was like I'm ready um and so when I got back from LA there was one there was one fam jam left and then it shut down and I remember before I went to LA getting so nervous about missing out on the fam jam and all these things and um when I got back, I was like, oh, good, I didn't miss out on it. But it was the last one. And then it just, world just shut down. And I remember, like, everyone just being like, well, it was kind of getting to the point where I think we were all exhausting ourselves. We were out until five in the morning, like, every Monday. And then that would lead into Tuesdays and Wednesdays and whatnot. So um, there was the fan jam on the Monday. And then midweek, I think it was – like a Wednesday, there was like this little private concert we had with, um, there's a band called Busty in the Bass that like is, I love them. And um, a band that my brother's in called the Pick Brothers. And they did a little concert just like for pre-show leading up to the Friday when Busty in the Bass had a huge show at Danforth, the Danforth Music Hall, which is like, the biggest indie venue in Toronto, I would say. And they sold it out. It was huge, like hundreds of people and stuff like that. And then it shut, like the world just shut down like four days later and, mm -hmm. or like a week later or something. And it was really interesting to go from one extreme to the next, because at one point you're in this crowded venue with hundreds of people to not even like, like being worried to go to the grocery store and wiping down everything, not getting close to anybody, um, fearing that every single person you see has it, like all this crazy stuff. And I feel like for everybody or for many people, the first two weeks were the absolute hardest. The first two weeks, the first month were the hardest because it was one extreme to the next and people just aren't used to not being allowed to 
do what they're usually doing. And then you think of the people who aren't going to work and like some people were going to work and having the same routine for 30 plus years, like the same right. routine. And then it just came to a grinding halt. Right. We're and definitely creatures of habit. Exactly. I mean, not me, but <laughs> like for me, like I, I joke about this, like not much changed in my life because <laughs> I didn't have like a part-time job. Like I, I didn't right. have something where like, I had to show up for work. You didn't have that consistency. It, no, it was like Monday nights were the only consistent thing. And then like sometimes at 1130 at night, I would get a call from my friend at a, a studio and he'd be like, hey, the studio is open. Want to come work for a bit? And I would just go and stay until four in the morning. Or like I would go and do a photo shoot early. And like it didn't matter. Right. Like my life just was like all over the place. And then to just completely stop and... I think the craziest thing for me, like I was living right in downtown, like college in Bathurst mm -hmm. and I could go on my roof and I remember going and sitting on my roof and it just being dead silent in downtown Toronto, not a car, not a honk, like just birds and like sirens somewhere far in the distance. Like it was the weirdest thing to have experienced. Um, and it, it felt, it just was so strange. And um, I mean, for the first week or so, I think like we were kind of like debating gathering in small crowds at the studio we all work at. Um, but then it really got to a point where we like, no, we were going to just completely cut this off and we need to go and do that. And it's been that way for about four months. And uh, I think they're starting to open things up again, which I don't think is the best idea. Um, but I'm up north with my family, so I'm not going to be – I'm starting to have FOMO. That's the nice thing about that time. There was no fear of missing out because there was nothing to miss out on. <laughs> yeah, I think but it was the best, the best time for people to get in, in tune with them, like what they want, what they like, get creative, mm -hmm. start kind of – figuring what they like to do in their spare time at home. And I guarantee sure. you there's a lot of artists and creative people that are going to come out of this crisis within yeah. a year or two. They discovered they like, I don't know, painting, clay, yeah. woodworking, whatever creative mm -hmm. thing that they got into. And now they're going to pursue it because they saw how much they enjoyed it. Um, well, I, mean, I definitely you hope so. You hope so. Because I think we've talked about this before, the monetization of art. Yeah. And um, it's something that I talk about a lot with many different people. Um, and it's when we're in school from an early age, you can kind of tell the kids who take to art naturally and the kids who don't really take to art naturally. But that doesn't mean that they don't have any potential to do art at all. But mm -hmm. it's kind of developed in the brain that, okay, you're an academic, you're an artist. And if you're not good at this, you're not, you're forced into the other avenue and don't waste your time doing this. And so the pandemic, I think people were really weirded out because they felt like, because time is money. We live in a world where time is money. And we have this idea that if we put our time into something, we want to make money off of it. So with this pandemic of just like being forced to not do anything at all and sit in our houses 
a lot of people were like, what do I do with myself? Do I start an online business? Do I do money? Like blah, blah, capitalistic stuff. And people were so hesitant to just like pick up embroidering and just do just embroider because they were like, well, am I going to sell it? Like, no, just do it for fun. Or they're like knitting. Like people used to knit all the time in, for, for so long because it was just something to do, right? And painting and, and all these different things, like I feel like a lot of people in the pandemic were just so like, I have to do something. And I remember seeing a lot of posts going around where people were like, it's okay not to do anything. It's okay to just chill. It's okay to just not do, just sit and stare at a wall. Who cares? You're not going to be, you're not, you know, taxed on this time. You know, you're not going to have to make money from this time. And people like, especially musicians, I remember talking to so many of my friends who had a lot of writer's block during the pandemic because they felt so like, oh my God, I'm given this perfect opportunity. You know, like I've been saying for years that I wish I had two weeks to just do anything and now I don't know what to do. And it's like the, the, the stuffed Monica Geller closet. I'll get to the closet at some point when I have time. And then when we were given this time, it was like, I still don't want to do it. <laughs> and it was, it's just, it was a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. And this idea of like, okay, I'm not making any money. I'm not, what is this purpose of this time? You know? Um, which was a really interesting thing to, to see and, and listen to my friends and other people discuss this um, experience that they were having. Because for me, like I said, like, I didn't have a job. Like I was, this was just my life. Like I would go and make music and I would, you know, go and paint. Like I've really come into following my body. If my body wants to go and sit on a rock somewhere, I'm just going to sit and I'm going to just go do it. And I still have some troubles with that, but just allow myself to do what I want to do. And that's, that's a privilege that I can do that. Not many people can. Because yeah, I they, think, they I think a lot of it um, comes from the whole societal view of success. You know, I think you, you mentioned <laughs> money, right? Uh, at the end of the day, people yeah. want to pay the bills. People want to buy their nice car. They pay need their nice, to pay the bills. They need to pay the bills. And mm -hmm. they also you know, want to have their luxurious items, you know, those that um, think that they need to pay for their luxuries. Uh, when in reality, like, I, I can tell you, I have friends that travel the world in less than $800 a month. And that's like, pretty solid for, you know, tr you're paying for everything. I'm, I'm talking like food, and yeah. your sleeping arrangements, which is, mm -hmm. it's definitely doable. Impressive. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying they were having yeah, stakes every day, but you. No. <laughs> but they did enjoy their time, and and they they appreciated what they were doing, and they grew so much. So yeah. it's that whole notion of. I mean, you just mentioned the whole. If I want to go sit in a rock for a couple hours, I'll do it. And I think, yeah. um, we have to give ourselves the permission yes. to do nothing. Yeah, and for sure. And also society has to do that in a way like yeah. education. Yeah. We go back to the whole education thing, you know, cause we, we are who we are from when we were children, the insecurities, et cetera. Right. So if these insecurities of, Oh, you have to do good in math because da da da, or you have to, 
in general, do good in school because you'll have to succeed one day. You know, I remember that was a big question all the time. Like, oh, you have to get good grades so you can get into this university. You have to do well in university so you can get this job. You know, everything was always like a goal based and, you know, setting goals is always good, but there's a bigger picture yeah. of the ultimate goal is I actually just want to be happy. Yeah, and exactly. I, th- I think, uh, this in pandemic general, allowed for that to happen to, I think a lot of people to step back and say, I'm going to do this for me. And mm-hmm. you were mentioning the luxuries and people need their luxuries and they need to look a certain way. Whatever. Because in society, especially with social media, we've become, those things have become a part of us. And we feel like those are what those things are without them. We don't know who we are. And a lot of people don't, you know, with their Gucci bags, like this is, this is me, you know, this is, this is who I am. Look at me kind of thing. And with the pandemic, like everyone was wearing sweatpants, no makeup. Like I haven't put makeup on. I like I do my eyebrows, but like, I don't put makeup on anymore. And I don't like putting makeup on. Like I put it on for an audition the other day. And I was just like, mm, I don't like this. And it doesn't mean I'm never going to wear makeup again, but it's just made me realize that like, it's okay to present myself as my raw being and it's okay to not always look as I feel like I should because the other thought is who really knows what that looks like if they, if I don't give them the option to know. Yeah, what, what is that should? Like what is that ideal label yeah. that you're looking for? It, it yeah. really, you, you should just be you. And um, mm. I feel like people kind of always put, their ideal self on a pedestal when really the decisions you make in life, you don't really know any better if you would have done this or would have done that. What happened happened, you know, and Mm -hmm. you might as well just kind of keep going and accept it in a way and and, and move forward. I remember in grade eight or something, I was doing a, um, a French presentation and I remember saying something along the lines of like, oh, well, I was going to do this, blah, blah, blah. Like I was, I wanted to do this, but I didn't have time or something. Um, And my teacher uh, was like, don't tell us what you didn't do. Show us what you did because we don't know what you didn't do. And that has stuck with me for so long because we only know the things that we weren't capable of doing. Nobody else does. And, you know, like it's our choice to go out and present what we have done and what we do and just be whoever we are because no one really, no one cares about our lives as much as they don't know as much about our lives as we do. And like, I find this really interesting with like the whole, lock and key thing and kind of like become like mini famous. I don't even like using the word famous, like the F word. And, but like, I have like Instagram fan, fan accounts. It's weird. (laughs) It's like really weird. But like, I always think I'm like, Oh, they're like looking at my Instagram and they're like, they're caring so much about this and they probably know this about me and whatever. But I'm like, they probably don't because I'm the one who's always thinking about it. I'm the one who's very aware of myself and what I do. And I think the, it's, it's important to just like take hold of 
who you are and not think about who you could be. Just think about what you're doing to get to where you want to be. And don't care that anybody is even like keeping tabs on you. You know, um, I think that was what was weird about the pandemic is that like a lot of people find purpose in putting on makeup in a pretty outfit in the morning and getting on the subway and going to work and seeing people. And they find a lot of purpose in being seen. And I do that. Like, I think everyone, even if it's not like, there's a subconscious kind of thing that it's like, there's a purpose in that routine and whatnot. And with a pandemic, with nobody seeing you, I think a lot of people were like, who am I? Like, (laughs) who am I? Like, who have I become? Right. When you mentioned that, like, uh, a lot of times I make the worst jokes. Like, I have uncle humor or like dad joke humor. And yeah. I always uh, tell my friends that, like, well, I make myself laugh. So, like, whatever. I, I, I enjoy the jokes I make. It's totally cool. And, like, when, as you illustrated that, the whole, like, everyone looking at you and kind of thinking always, I just pictured myself looking at me as opposed to other people. And then that's mm-hmm. how, how would I want to act if I was looking at me? And mm-hmm. I think that's something that people could use where it's, like, Turn everyone else out and just go with what you think is right. Because if you're already worried about other people judging you for doing X, Y, Z, you might as well just mm-hmm. focus on, on your path, you know? And, and, and then mm-hmm. when you don't know when there's like an empty space, which a lot of people got to that empty space with this pandemic, fill it. It's like a blank canvas and just mm-hmm. throw some paint on it and see what works, yeah. you know? It was a beautiful empty space. And I think, you know, um, Eckhart Tolle, he does a great job at illustrating so many different things. But he discusses how the only way that we're ever going to move forward, and we are ready for this, we are here now. Um, But the way we're moving forward in the world and our stream of consciousness as a whole of humanity is to all be greatly and deeply affected by one thing. And I remember listening to a podcast that Eckhart had with, uh, I think Oprah, um, before this like pandemic even hit. And he said, there will come a day when something monumental happens to a huge group of people and It has to happen to everybody. It can't be small things and whatnot because only that group will be affected by it. But this pandemic has literally touched every single corner of the world. And our stream of consciousness, I'm hoping, has changed towards thinking more of what we do to fulfill ourselves, not what we get up in the morning to fulfill for somebody else in order to pay for our bills and to, to give us purpose. I hope that this has helped a lot of people find purpose in their own day to day, because right. when else in the world were people allowed to just stay at home and like, look at what's happening, the protests that are going on all over America and all over yeah. the world too. And the, you know, the, the educational realm that's happened on social media, like I hope a lot of people follow more accounts that are educational. Like I follow a lot of different accounts that, that discuss different perspectives that um, especially about the BLM movement and everything that's happening there. And 
people have time. People have time to discuss these things and to protest and go out and do these and organize them and, and talk about like, this is something that's not okay. Why have we been allowing it to happen for decades? And that's because from Monday through Friday, nine to five, people were working. And this society that, that was created, this money creation, this, this churning out of business and industrialization didn't ever allow anybody or many people to follow their passions in so many different ways, whether it be creative or political or justice driven, whatever it is. And this time off, like, no wonder we're going through such a revolution, especially in the States, right. because people have the time to right. really focus in on what they care about. And so like put the, the protest aside, it's just like, that's just like, if it's reading a book that you've always wanted to read or being with your family, like my parents live down South for half of the year and then they come up here and they live here for half the year. Um, they're also like in their 60s, 70s. So they're like basic snowbirds. They're living their best life. <laughs> um, but my brother and I were busy and like we, we probably only saw our parents for a couple weeks at a time throughout the year. And it wasn't for long. And this was the first time in years that we were really able to be together and focus in on family. And like I was thinking the other day, like this is the first time we're all hanging out as adults. Like, as a kid, I remember being so bored up here because I didn't have any friends and, like, running around in circles because I was like, I'm bored um, right. because we didn't have any way of getting back to the city. So we had to stay up here. And then when I turned, like, probably 16, that's when we started staying in the city without my parents. And it's just, like, really brought me back to the purpose of family and being in the now and just taking it day by day and being okay that the days are passing. I can't stop the days from passing, but I can stop feeling horrible that they are, you know? Right. Like you're, you're yeah. feeling that you're actually putting them to good use. Even if I'm not, you know, even if I'm not just being okay with it and just saying it, I didn't have to create, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Mm -hmm. It this every single day, if I waste that day away, that's, that's a day and that's okay. Yeah. That's, that is what it is. If I do a lot of things on one day, that's a great day, whatever. But if I'm going to live my life regretting that I didn't do more every day, then that's a lot of time spent regretting and, you know, getting down on myself about something. So it's up to me to just like, take ownership of each day that is passed and focusing in on what matters to me. And um, it's been a really huge learning process for so many different things. And I think a lot of people have felt the same way. Um, and going back to the Eckhart thing, like, I think we've really, I'm hoping it's been long enough. Like it takes 26 days to break a habit. I think it, I think we've really as a society re-evalued our lives and our purposes in them and what we want from them 
And I hope that the whole consumerism thing is going to go down because of it. <laughs> and just like the aimless living that I think we were running thin on before this hit. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But that's, yeah, <laughs> the oh. tangent. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's, it's really interesting to talk about that because I think there's also different cultures have... Uh, different perspectives on the path of life. Um, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I shared, shared with this with you last time we spoke about how here in Israel, it's, uh, it's a bit different in the sense that when you're in grade 11, grade 12, you're not prepping, you're not, you're not doing SATs or prepping your grades for university. You're prepping your body and your mind to serve your country and to defend the country mm -hmm. for two to three years. And then after that, that's when you would you do university or start planning for university. So what most Israelis do is they take a year off, two years off, and it's very, very different. And that whole mindset that you just mentioned of whatever, it'll be another day. Like th there's a very Israeli body language thing where it's like, just mm. like that. Yeah, for everyone not listening, I'm just going like, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. what'll be, will be uh, kind of motion. That's the little person in my head always. In right. <laughs> you know, what is what right. it is. <laughs> so so it's, it's very interesting for me to, you know, come from the Canadian background and then uh, be living here and having that different mm -hmm. uh, culture. And totally. I, I'm interested in what you have to say on your travels in when you took the gap year and if you noticed other cultural, cause I, I think even if it's not a gap year, I think uh, hopefully when Corona ends and life gets back to normal, people can get back to the whole traveling, backpacking, meeting new people and exposing themselves yeah. to different cultures. Um, I don't know if you have any, can you, can you hear the, the, the leaf blower? No, no, I think I'm on your headphones microphone, so it's pretty okay, isolated. Okay, good. I'm just making sure so that it's not like an annoying buzzing in the sound that <laughs> everyone's hearing. Um, anyway, um, I didn't travel as much as I probably should have. Um, and that's largely to do because I didn't save enough money when, <laughs> when I was getting ready. I went to Australia and I stayed in Sydney. I basically stayed in Sydney the whole time. I was on Bondi Beach and I spent a lot of my time with my friends just hanging out on the beach, you know, just effing around, like <laughs> just doing whatever, which is fine. Like it is what it is. But um, I didn't do what you did, which was like travel to different places and see different cultures and whatnot. And like Australians, like I really see Australians as just like Canadians with an accent. Like, <laughs> that's basically, there's so and they have cool. a pet like, kangaroo instead of a, a pet uh, polar bear. Yeah, polar bear. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was it was so much fun. Like, I, I, I really loved it, but I definitely would have done it, like, a little bit differently looking back on it now. But I was young, dumb, and sweet. Like, it's just, I didn't care. Um, but it got, you, it got you to, you know, think of the things that you thought of that got you to who you are today. So there's... Yeah. I think that whole like, oh, yeah. if I would have done things differently, like I have so many sentences that I've said that mm -hmm. about. And then when it, when it pops up in my head, I kind of just be like, eh, whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Like, what do I want to do with my life now? You know? <laughs> yeah, I learned a lot of amazing things on that trip. Um, 
especially in the financial realm of things like understanding finances and rent and all those things. Um, and like how to budget, you know, like when you don't have much money for even like McDonald's at that point in your life, you're like, I don't know what I'm going to eat. Like, I don't know, figure it out. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm really hoping my idea is, so I just got called back to, um, to set for lock and key, um, and we'll most likely be going for about eight months until like April and it's going to be crazy. Like, I don't know if they're quarantining us, like locking us down, like in a hotel altogether for eight months where we can't see our family. Like, I don't know what's going to end up happening there. It's crazy. Wow. I'm okay. very excited though. Like, wait, when is this uh, shooting like, supposed to start? Like September, I think. Yeah. I don't if, know if that's uh, confidential if things... information, but <laughs> I okay, don't think well, it is. Y- you can let me know if it was, um, and then I won't put it in the episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, um, yeah, so I don't know if they're going to, like, quarantine lock us down, but my my thought is that, you know, for first season, I didn't have a huge character. Because, like, my big thing is, like, I want to go and travel, but, like, as a woman, it's really difficult to travel alone. Right. And right. if I had my way, I would... I would travel. I love travel. Like I love going on my own. I'm a pretty independent person, but it's hard to find somebody who's really great to travel with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. So my, yeah, my thought is like after we're done filming season two around April, April time, I think um, if I have some time off, like I'm really, I might possibly like, boot it out and go (laughs) go and travel because i would think in april americans still aren't going to be traveling so that's a great time (laughs) to go and travel because no americans all the better (laughs) so i'm sorry american friends but they even understand they know yeah yeah the the Um, tourism yeah. style of traveling yeah you definitely want to go to the locals and more like raw yeah. traveling yeah. If that makes any sense <laughs> yeah and i don't want to be like annoying i don't want to be an annoying white woman <laughs> walking through like places that they don't want me like <laughs> that's well crappy. when you get to your traveling times i have some really great recommendations definitely i would love that <laughs> I, I definitely want to go back to sydney so what i'm thinking of doing is going back to Sydney and starting um, probably in Sydney and doing the the drive up the coast with some friends that I met over there because I really want I want that time before the second season comes out and before I get working on different projects to really focus on just being you know chill you know because you know like Netflix is huge they just they grew over three thirty was it 30 million subscribers, I think, over the pandemic? 30 million more subscribers. It makes sense, yeah. Yeah. And Lock and Key was, like, number one on IMDb for a very long time, number one on Netflix for a very long time. Like, it's weird because, like, I compare myself to other shows like Outer Banks, which was, like, a huge Instagram, like, phenomenon. And that's because the, the whole audience is, like, on Instagram. But with Lock and Key, it's, like, a bunch of comic book nerds who don't care about Instagram. So it's like the fame of the show is hidden in some ways. And it's interesting because the show came out in February. This is like a whole different tangent to the question you asked me. (laughs) um, I love it. It's great. (laughs) But 
Yeah. Um, but the show came out on Feb- in February and I was in LA for the whole month of February. And like in LA, no one cares about you. You know, like unless you're Meryl Streep or like something, like no one cares about you. You're like, whatever. Especially if you're not a lead on the show. And I wasn't like a lead on the show. And when I got back in the end of February, March, um, it was only like a few people like I remember going to the big fam jam and having a few people come out to me and be like you're unlocking key like blah blah blah. and that was like a really weird thing to experience um but then the world shut down so I never really got to like interact with people who had seen the show and like meet more people but I feel like because of the way that season one ends like season two is going to be a really big opportunity for Eden and like definitely coming into the forefront more and so I want to get as much traveling in as possible um, to just like, you know, fly low kind of thing, because I'm not stopping at lock and key. Like I'm going, I'm going, I'm right. going to make my way from the Egyptian theater to the Chinese theater. <laughs> that's, right. that's, that's my route. So. Yeah. I don't know if you've read the book, uh, four hour work week. I, from knowing no, you, I, I feel like you might have. Yeah. So I've also heard- a great podcast, Tim Paris. Um, strongly recommend it. And uh, so he talks a lot about how you can make uh, the standard way of life is get enough money so you can retire at the end of your life uh, and then live Mm. the good life. And he has Mm. a chapter where he says you can have mini retirements throughout your life, like mini vacations, like long vacations where you actually uh, properly manage your finances and manage your uh, businesses or monetize things that you can make your money work for you even while you're traveling, like different concepts. I strongly recommend the four hour week book, mm-hmm. um, 21 listening. Um, yeah, it, it's, I think really cool to, to plan that out where it's like chapter, have a nice little two, mm-hmm. three month break and mm-hmm. then keep going with the, with a marathon. Um, I definitely feel like I'm very lucky to be in acting because I get to experience things like that. And I feel very privileged to be able to experience that kind of um, the ability to work on a project, make some money and then say, okay, agents, I'm going to go off and live in Australia for three months and let me know if there's like some auditions that you want me to do. Cause like now auditions are all like remote. I just do them at home. Um, and that's probably going to stay that way for a very long time. Um, but yeah, like I feel really lucky that I'm able to do that, but I feel like more people should do that. And like, right. unfortunately with a lot of jobs, many people aren't able to do that because they have families, right. they have to keep a roof over their heads. And, um, I feel very, very lucky to be able to do this, but, um, like also you have to save up your sick days in order to get like two weeks off. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, Mental health. Like no wonder so many people are loving this time because they've, they didn't even realize that they were pushing themselves so hard and that they were over exerting themselves and, and not taking time to just like slow down and chill. And like, I know we can't travel right now, but just having that time of space, I think has been so huge for many, many people. And so after eight months of being locked down, potentially like not being able to see friends or family, like I've already not been seeing them for the past four months. So add eight months onto that, like by for a whole year, basically, (laughs) um, it's going to be really interesting to like, to experience that and then 
potentially go off to to Australia for a month or something like that would be sick like I would love to do that but we'll see like honestly I'm just doing it day by day I also might not be able to because of the music I'm working on if I'm going to be locked down for like eight months um I'm going to have to really backlog all of the the music video shoots that I'm planning um and a lot of filming and all that stuff so I don't know. There's so many logistics to that. I don't even want to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That sounds like uh, some awesome projects that you're working on, honestly. I feel like your listeners are going to be like, oh my God, this girl rambles. (laughs) No, no, no. That's, that's what podcasts are for. We get, we get Mm -hmm. uh, listeners who want to listen to cool, interesting ideas. And I think, uh, Mm -hmm. I like to think we've been uh, having some cool, interesting ideas. (laughs) We talked yeah. for like three hours last time. It's true. Yeah, it's always uh, so crazy. It's always interesting having our conversations. I, it brings me back to our, our schmoozing back in high school. Honestly, yes. <laughs> you know what? You know what's funny? I've been looking for an animator for mm-hmm. my um, music video stuff because I can't film music videos right now. So I was thinking of getting animated versions of what's in my head mm-hmm. to just like have. Right. And I was talking to somebody, somebody else about it and they were like, oh, like, sorry, like I, Jacob Godel from. I think I messaged you about it. I, I messaged you. Message, I think so. uh, yeah, I told you, message Maybe. Jacob. Yeah. He's doing animation. Yeah. Well, I messaged Jacob. He does 3D animation, right. like clay mm-hmm. animation or whatnot. And no, not clay animation. Anyway, he does 3D animation, not what I was looking for. And he's like, you should message Kenzie Talanko. And I was like, I'm such an idiot. Like, <laughs> what? Like, okay, for everyone out there, Kenzie Talanko is, like, one of Abby <laughs> and my closest friends from high school. Like, still close friends. And he's so good at it. Like, he's so good at, yeah. like, what, what exactly what I was looking for. Yeah. And it was just crazy that I didn't even think about it. But it's so cool. I was talking to Kenzie for a while on the phone the other day talking about, like, he's actually working on a project right now, which is exactly the project I have in mind. He just happened to take on this project and like be doing it right now. And I was like, that's crazy that like our paths are aligning. And he's like, I'm not giving you the option. I'm a part of this project. Like (laughs) I'm like, okay. Um, So it's going to be super cool to work with somebody from, from Hag and like somebody who I love so much and like just you know, Kenzie and I like didn't talk for a few years. Like we were just on our different paths in our lives. And then we fell back in with each other about two years ago, a year ago. And uh, he's been doing some amazing work and to just see like everybody, like a lot of people from Hag just really flourish. It's been really, really cool. Like Hag has some cool alumni, like Scott Hellman, Jesse Gold, Callum Maudsley, like come on, like (laughs) <laughs> it's cool anyway i i still think intent. and i told <laughs> you this last time we spoke uh that you need to go to hague and speak to all of like dude i remember they would bring in alumni that were like artists mm. At one time they brought in a, a 3d animator um coincidentally uh mm-hmm. and they had him speak to just claude watson and I remember you got so mad about that. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, I think you should definitely message whoever needs to be messaged at Hague. And then when life gets back to normal, yeah. 
you got to do a speech of your whole path. Yeah. I think that would be a crazy uh, closure for you as well. And it'll be like yeah. super, super cool. It was crazy. I love public speaking. I, I've always, obviously anyone listening at home can tell that I love talking. <laughs> Since the time I was able to talk, once I started talking, I didn't stop. Um, <laughs> and I would love to go back. Like I've always had this idea, even when I was in high school, like of going back to my middle school and talking and like discussing with people, like just, just sharing these little things that I wish I heard from somebody when I was in middle school and high school. And there's so many little things that I think are obviously I would need to formulate them and write them down because I can like go and talk for hours and they're going to be like, you have 15 minutes. And I'll be like, okay. Right. Um, condensing 20 pages. And <laughs> but um, I would love to do that. I think that that's definitely something that's on my agenda in the next two years, probably after season two. Um, because I would think like that's kind of the age range of people who would watch Lock and Key. 100%. Too. So 100%. That would be insane to just walk into that school like, oh, like my stomach kind of flipped, just like envisioning walking back into the that big open it's hallway. The Kringen Hall. Yeah. Carnegie? No, not Carnegie. What am I saying? What's it called? Kringen Hall. Kringen? Kringen. It's yeah. called Kringen Hall. Yeah. Why didn't I? I knew that, but it sounds weird. I haven't heard that in five years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Wavy Hall. No, Wavy Hall was Wavy. right outside of Kringen Hall. I think I don't know. I might be I, be, I might be bashing it myself. I don't know. Okay. It's been five years. Who, anyway, cares? I, who cares? Who um, cares? <laughs> no one knows what we're talking about anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would love to do that because I I definitely would say like it's not it can't be a Claude Watson only. I think it would be like a Claude Watson than anybody who else wants. I, to I really want them to say like oh yeah we're only gonna do it for Claude Watson then you'd be like, like no. no. I'm sorry. No, I'm not I coming. I wasn't a Claude Watson student. If you want to do a Claude Watson only talk, I'm going to bash Claude Watson the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> like it needs to, because for someone like me, even if I was like, like I just suggested, if they did a Claude Watson and then anybody who else wanted to come, would I? It would be a little gone? bit more intimidating. Yeah, it's intimidating. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want that. It would be more so like anybody who wants to come and listen to this talk or like doing it at SOPS assemblies where like right. at the end of the SOPS assembly, like a quick talk or like another assembly or whatever. Like I, I talked at the me to we assembly cause I had gone to an Ecuador, uh, me to we, um, trip when I was like God, 13 or something. And now I have different thoughts on that whole thing, but I, remember standing up and like discuss like talking about my experience and I loved it and I was like this is such a thrill I love public speaking um so it's definitely something I want to do it will definitely be something I will do and I love that you would like you were already thinking that because I was like I think I needed that extra push <laughs> you definitely you gotta do it for sure for sure I think mm -hmm. it's uh first of all it would be very beneficial for any student um who is literally in that exact same position, uh, who's mm -hmm. just regular old Hag and has been trying to get into Claude or even someone in Claude Watson. It's, it's just an inspiring kind of, uh, it's a really inspiring story. Like I told you at the beginning of the episode. Uh, and I think it would also be very good for you because it's literally where, where it 
all happened. Yeah. And it's where it all didn't happen. Like if you look at it that way, like all the things that were set up unintentionally, but all the things that were set up to stop me, that's what I went through. And like the, the friends, the friendship turmoil I went through, um, the self, you know, the mental health turmoil I went through, um, the, the fears and anxieties I went through, the embarrassments I went through, like all these different things that had happened to me are the reason I am who I am today. And, you know, I play this mean character on this show, on Lock and Key. And I know in, what you're going to say, and it's not true. Of, <laughs> Well, here's the thing. You know what's say interesting? It, say I, it, say it, say it, Okay, so Eden Hawkins on Lock and Key is a bitch. Um, <laughs> straight up. She's, but she's insecure, you know? Like, I think I, it's important to, to acknowledge that nobody just comes out of the womb a bitch. Um, I mean, maybe some people, but, like, there's obviously a lot of insecurities that this character has, and it might not be explicitly written out or whatever, but I've made that decision um, because I th- I've based Eden Hawkins a lot on myself in high school, and I've done a lot of work in my life since high school to really push out that part of me, and um, nobody's pure and perfect and the kindest per- Like, I think some people, like, are you know, they're just like little saints. I'm not a little saint. I can be a bitch sometimes. Like, that is what it is. Ask my mom. She would tell you. But it's, it, like, for me, I know that I can get further in life with kindness and feel better with kindness. And that's something that I've really developed, like, worked on. Um, but looking back at my high school experience, I was really insecure because I didn't get into the Claude Watson program and I wasn't strong in academics and I was the class clown and you know, I didn't have the greatest group of friends and stuff. And I was a bitch back then. Like I wasn't always the nicest person. And you, you say like, you know, that's not true. And I, th- I think I, I was just in that different friend group. I remember, uh, yeah. like the, the guys that we used to hang out with were like, yeah, he is a bro. She's part of the, part of the crew. Like, cause we would just one go out. Guys, one, yeah. yeah. One of the guys. Um, yeah. so I guess it was yeah. a different circle to what you, uh, claim to be a bitch yeah. at, but. <laughs> but I think I think I say that like and I've said it on on talk shows and, and interviews and whatnot I think there's a, subcon- a subconscious part of me that if somebody who I wasn't kind to is listening to me talk about it it's not right for me to say I was perfect I was so nice I was like definitely not this Eden Hawkins person because then that's gonna it's, I need to, I want to validate how they experience. That you, that you feel that you connect a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't want them. And I don't know who it would be, but it might've been like a comment I made or something I did. And I can't claim to be a perfect person because I not, I wasn't, and I know I wasn't, and I know I still am not. And I still have a lot of things to work on. And you know, there have been a lot of reflective times in the last while where, you know, I was, I've been working really hard on making sure that I'm, I have a smile on my face and that I make people feel welcome and I make people feel good. 
and sometimes like something might slip or something might come out wrong or I'm tired and I say something, you know, like I don't want to say like, Oh, I'm definitely not Ethan Hawkins because I think there's, that would just be, what's the word I'm looking. Um, it's the opposite of, no, what's the opposite of validating? Like the, it's like disvalidating. What's the, like, you know what? I, I forget that word. I'm, also kind of not, 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 not. I don't don't even know. I'm yeah. Um, but it's like, that would give people the opportunity to like walk away being like, well, she's a liar too. Like she doesn't even realize what she did to me. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that I was always that person, but I know that there was definitely some moments where I'm not proud of. And Mm -hmm. it's not my, my, I think I think people are it's very layered. It's my responsibility to be aware of that. I think yeah, people are layered. Yeah, and, and back then I was I was a layered bitch back then. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, no, but yeah. even even like I, I'm not even just uh, just saying that that I I didn't really consider you a bitch. It's just because it was that different friend group, you know, and that I mm. guess the bitch aspect or the bitch layer that you claim to uh, to have been just didn't really show up uh, in mm. our friend group. And even now, I think that's every person, how you, that's how every you person can have the layers. Yeah. I think the big part of like our friend group was that you guys just accepted me for who I was and I didn't have to pretend to be anything else. And I think, you know, not being in Claude Watson, I was always trying to prove myself. And that's a big thing that Eden tries to do is that she's, she's putting up this mean facade so that she doesn't come across as being weak. Like I was watching the show again and my mom was like, why are you so mean to Tyler? And I was like, well, they, he just walked out on like up with her and that's embarrassing. This probably never happened to, to Eden before. And so she's putting up this mean facade to not seem weak. And so in high school and middle school, I think more so in middle school, definitely. Like I think I, I was more of that person to try to like be cool or whatever with my girlfriends and um, it was this deep driven insecurity of mine not being in the Claude Watson program and not, you know, being, you know, even a dancer, like the dancers were cool. Like I saw the dancers as being like cool girls and it was, it, I wasn't accepted in that friend group. And I tried so hard. I tried so often to try to be accepted in that friend group. And I just wasn't cause I wasn't one of them. And so I put up this layer of like, well, whatever, like this is, you know, and I had like my two girlfriends that, you know, we were kind of the other, we were the collegiate popular girls. And then there were the dance popular and like the Claude Watson popular girls. And so there was kind of like this, this like little, you know, bitchy war, you know, going on and they might not even agree with that, but like from my perspective, like I'm just saving face in case somebody did have a bad experience with me and I don't want to make them feel like I'm invalidating their, is that the word invalidating? I don't know. Let's validating go with it. And, I think so. Yeah. Invaluating. <laughs> um, it's not invaluating. Like, I, I don't know, whatever, but like, I don't want them to make, I don't want to make them feel that they're not that, their experience isn't valid because if that happened, that happened. And I'm not right. going to pre- pretend that, you know, my past is perfect. Like that's not who I am and I want to grow. And if anybody did have a problem 
and they still carry it around with them, I want them to come to me and I want them to say, Hey, this is what you said, or this is something that stuck with me for so long. And I still don't feel good about it. Like I want to talk about it. Um, I don't want anyone feeling like that's who I am still because it's not like I, and I am constantly trying to improve upon myself. And if I deny those things, what is that doing for anybody? That's only just making me look bad and it's making somebody else feel bad. So that's, right. it's, it's the closure. It's to not hold things. Exactly. Exactly. So it is what it is. We're not perfect humans. <laughs> I love it. Wow. Mm. Well, Halia, I mean, the time literally flies whenever we just get into oh our God, yeah. long conversations. Um, but uh, yeah. I don't know if you have anything to add. Uh, um, yeah, like I, I don't have too much besides like what we've been talking about, but lead with kindness and always understand that there's more to learn out there and we don't know everything. And there's so much space for growth. And you're never done growing. It's always a journey. And you got to accept every single day as what it is. And if it's not the best of days, that is a learning day. And uh, yeah, take time for yourself. That's all. Take time for yourself and take time to, to grow. It doesn't happen overnight. Love it. Love it. Wow. And also watch Lock and Key. <laughs> Well, at this point, they you should have already paused the episode, like we mentioned earlier, binged it, and now they're all cut up. <laughs> yes. Also, uh, I'm working on an album right now with my brother, August. His, his name's Austin, but if you look up Austin Jones on Google, you'll understand why he doesn't go by Austin Jones. Um, that's not him, by the way. You'll have to look this up. It's, it's I didn't great. know this. Okay. The only yeah, Austin Jones um, I know is your brother, but I'm assuming what... Yeah. It's things. not good. <laughs> There's somebody <laughs> rotting purposefully in jail. <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, so anyway, so my brother and I, August, um, August, he's born in August, and August is a cool name. Uh, we're making an album. We're up at the cottage for this whole time, and uh, we're hoping to have this album out for 2021. And yeah, you can find everything that I'm working on on my Instagram, like we said earlier share i share a lot on instagram um i'm pretty yeah, so open about my life tell yeah. the audience your handles how they can uh... yeah it's just super basic straightforward on twitter and instagram it's halia jones h-a-l-l-e-a-j-o-n-e-s right um and yeah so and we also just started a patreon um so all of the money is going towards paying my brother to make this album because it's kind of weird for a sister to hand money to a brother um but uh also every month we're going to be um taking a percentage of all of the profit that we make and focusing in on a charity a different charity each month to just give it a platform and talk about it and uh yeah, so we're putting out a bunch of um, music on there and vlogs and breakdowns of songs and lyrics and inspiration behind the songs. And uh, also for one of the tiers, we're sending out these little goodie bags where I'm painting CDs um, and going to send them out to people. So yeah, join us on there. It's, it's fun. It's just starting up. So it's a slow build. And then when we get to 50 patrons, we're at 18, I think. When we get to 50 patrons, we're going to be putting a song out on Spotify. So we're excited about that. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. Mm -hmm. Exciting. Exciting. All right. <laughs>
Well, it's, uh, it's been a great pleasure uh, to have you on the podcast. And I think uh, the listeners and viewers have uh, learned a lot and can yeah. take a lot of inspiration from your story. Um, you. I guess for everyone that has tuned in, thank you so much for spending the time with us. And Thank we'll- you for getting this far and putting up <laughs> with my rambles. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess... We hope to see you next week on the episode and uh, check out other Dreamer Talks from past week's episodes. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dreamer Talks. If you've enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a review. Your feedback is priceless. I simply want to make the podcast more engaging and beneficial for everyone listening. So if you could please do that, that would be awesome. And don't forget to share with your friends and we'll see you next week with another dreamer. Thanks again. Thank you for watching watching and keep on dreaming.